This generation is growing up in a much, much, much different world than the world of our parents' generation. Our generation is one of the first generations that has not had to worry about much. Like, we have not had to worry about survival. When you don't have to think about surviving, you start asking a lot more questions about like, so what are we here to do? What is life really about? You'll see in the millennial generation, there's a lot more like a heart and soul for helping others and impacting others. They just have a heart and passion to impact other people, but they have to be led and able to do so. I think our world and the things that are gonna happen in our world and socially change, it's gonna require a lot of leaders and individuals, ordinary people stepping up and choosing to be extraordinary. Andrew Evans is an extraordinary leader. At the age of 24, his credentials already match up against many longer-term veterans in the Cutco Vector business. He's the record holder for branch managers, a national champion new district manager, and has already been promoted to run his own division in Florida. Andrew understands the traits and qualities for success in the evolving world of today, and he shares those insights in this episode. Get ready for a fast-moving and profound conversation with this dynamic young leader, Andrew Evans. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am fired up about today because we've got Andrew Evans as our guest. Andrew is only 24 years old and at the tender age of 24 has already accomplished more great things in the Vector Cutco universe than uh, many longtime veterans of the business. He's been in the business since 2013. He is a two-time Silver Cup branch manager that's emblematic of winning the national championship. He broke the all-time company record as a branch manager, which he still holds today, over $680,000 in sales in the summer in his branch. I was promoted to district manager before even finishing college. And then uh, after finishing up college at Florida State University, uh, Andrew relocated down to Miami as a district manager and was number one first full year district manager in the company, has now already been promoted to division coordinator, leading the Florida Coast Division. He's got a lot of great insights on many topics. We've got a lot of ground to cover. I'm very excited for this interview. So Andrew Evans, thanks so much for making time for the podcast. 
Dan, thank you so much for having me on here. It's a, it's a pleasure and joy. And uh, believe it or not, this is the, uh, I've done a lot of podcast interviews, but this is the first podcast that I've actually ever been on. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> first uh, time being interviewed on the podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's really cool to hear. So why don't we uh, hear a little bit about how you got started with the company? So take us back to 2013 and tell us a little bit about the story of getting started. So yeah, I started off when I was uh, 17 years old. This was my first uh, real professional position at the time. I had heard about it from a friend that had recommended me and I hadn't talked to him in like four or five years. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. And leading up into that, you know, I'd done a bunch of... I worked pretty much every single summer since I was in fifth grade. I, had, uh, I ran my own landscaping company, which was like a fancy way of saying I mowed people's yards. Did that for a whole summer. I uh, did magic at, at restaurants. So I cold called all the restaurants in town when I was growing up and, and started kind of performing and doing there. So then I started coaching gymnastics at a couple places and teaching their parkour and free running classes. And from a young age, I was always just kind of hustling and trying to find ways to make money before I was even legally allowed to do so. And, uh, and then eventually, when I was uh, old enough and eligible, I got a chance to, to work at Cutco. And I never heard about it before. The person that called me was actually my sister's ex-boyfriend at the time. So I remember going into the interview and uh, he was interviewing me and it was her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> um, I hadn't seen him. I, like with the la- When they broke up like a year, year and a half ago, like he wasn't even working there. So I was like, you weren't doing this a year ago. Now you're interviewing me. I was like, I don't know what you're doing, but something's got to be going good here. I was like, how do I get in your position? That was what I was thinking in the interview. So I did that my first summer. And... I really wasn't that great at the job, especially when I first started. I, I sold a thousand bucks in my first ten days. Wow! I got a thousand dollars in in eighteen appointments. You know, so I I did a good amount, and that was around finishing up my classes. I was in finals week that week, so I did eighteen appointments around it. I, I think my biggest order, my fast start, was like two hundred dollars. So I sold on like every appointment, and I didn't sell more than like a hundred bucks, like in a, any appointment. So I, and I did that. Uh, just it took me like a month, a month and a half on the job to sell my first set. And I finished the summer over like I don't know. I finished the summer at seventeen grand in sales and uh, got into TLA, which I didn't even really know about until I remember my manager kind of calling me up and being like, "Hey, there's this thing. Jeff Gamboa is coming to town. Like you, you should interview with him." And I was like, "Oh, I've got you know school next year." He's like, "Just don't even worry about that. Like let's get you in first. And I was like, "All right, sure." So I showed up, and uh, after that summer, my initial uh, manager Chris Stroud left the company, and so I ended up getting transferred into Jeff's office. So I've literally my entire career of Cutco, I only worked in an off like an, in a Cutco office. I only had like a local office for like two three months, you know, mm. when I first started, and it was forty five minutes away. So then I started working at Jeff's office, which was like an hour and a half, you know, away from me at the time. And so I only went there like but once or twice, you know, every month or so, just to go for the TLA preps, and then I became an assistant manager there uh, that first summer coming out of there. So that summer, I was uh, graduated from high school. I was going to Florida State that year. I was an assistant manager in the pilot office. And, and I lived an hour and a half away. So and it wasn't like an hour and a half traffic. Like I would drive like miles. I think I spent four grand on gas that summer. This was back when <laughs> gas prices were really, really high. And uh, I think I literally spent almost as much as I made that summer driving back and forth. I slept at like eight or nine different places as an AM, didn't have like a place to stay and like kept getting moved from one place to another. And then became assistant manager that upcoming summer. And uh, that was a pretty cool experience being that, that, that first time. Yeah. Being an AM is awesome. So you were 18, 
and you're an assistant manager. It's the same for me. I was 18. I was an assistant manager and I was, you know, running interviews and interviewing people who are older than me or sometimes two or three times older than me. It was, it was weird. <laughs> it was really, yeah, it was really funny, but it was, it was great to have a lot of responsibility early on. I think that uh, we learn a lot from being given a lot of responsibility and it certainly uh, helped me develop as a leader much more quickly. Yeah, I was the youngest person there by far. And, you know, now I look back on it. Like at the time I was confident, but now I look back and see photos of myself and I can't imagine someone else walking into that interview and interviewing with me <laughs> and how I looked at that time. I was going to be done after that summer. You know, that was kind of like, hey, I'm going to do this for a summer and then I'll be done after the summer. That's why I was kind of frustrated that I didn't branch because I was like, well, now I'm going to be assistant. I'm not going to branch next year. And then at the end of the summer, I finished it and was just kind of open to the idea. And uh, things kind of transitioned a little bit from there. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'd love to hear more about your branch manager experiences because obviously you became the greatest branch manager our company has ever seen. And it would be cool to hear about some of the stories and lessons that came out of those summers. After that, I went down and ran my first branch office in Boca Raton. Sold 135 grand that first summer. So really like, you know, not awful, but nothing really too special. And, you know, at the beginning of the summer, I, I really thought we were going to do well. We were kicking some butt. I had, a, a, you know, one of my reps did like a 17 grand week. You know, and this is like, he sold 17 grand himself personally in one week. And this was like in May, you know, so going into SE1, I thought we were going to do really well and we were on pace. And then, you know, my whole entire team like quit <laughs> in July. Like I'm like, I'm sitting down. I remember, I remember this is literally what happened. I was like, I went down to sit down and PC my whole team for SE2. And I had this like push PC that I didn't know what I was doing. I was kind of just reading it. And I was like, you know, I'm telling them this is one of like, the hardest things I've ever done. I'm trying to get them recommitted and committed at a higher level. And every almost like 90% of the people I sat down with quit. <laughs> like I sit down, I do all these PCs and they all quit right after that. So things kind of transitioned a little bit. So, you know, for me that summer, I did like a solid job, I think, in just recruiting and getting some good people in there. And, you know, I, I really like something I did early on in my career is I just, I worked really hard, which helped because I think I had a lot of lack of experience. I had a lot of lack of skill set in, in many areas, a lot of uh, just, lack of understanding, emotional intelligence, things like that. And I think just like my, a lot of my hard work kind of persevered through that and prevailed over it until I developed the skill set. But that first summer, I kind of did things for me. You know, I ran the office for me. It was about, you know, branching and getting my experience. I mean, I was really, really excited about that. And, you know, I was fired up to work with the people I was working with. What transitioned and changed for me from one summer to the next, the next summer I got the opportunity, I was planning on going back to Boca. And uh, Kathy at the time had just got promoted in January, February. So I remember... I got the call in February and, you know, Jeff asked me if I wanted to, you know, maybe go to Miami instead. And I was like, I mean, I was planning on going to Boca. I was like, I don't know. Is Miami like a better market? And he's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's good. I, I'd say it's probably a good idea. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll go there. And so uh, I remember I went through the next summer and a big, the big shift that happened for me, I remember going to that summer, I'd, I'd gone to an event with a uh, abundant or which was Epic Impact at the time out in uh, San Francisco with a, uh, Brian Hillman and Carlos Cordero. And it was just the idea of serving the market versus serving achievement. That mm -hmm. was like the switch. It was like the idea of like before I had like every, like it was for achievement. I did things to, um, I, I was branching for myself. It was about personal achievement, which I think is good too. You know, but my perspective going to my branch when we won the silver cup and we did 350 that summer, I was like, hey, serve the market. It was like, hey, how do I create, you know, for other people? How do I use this as an opportunity to serve others versus, you know, achievement? for myself. And that was like the big perspective shift that I think really changed. And then when I went into my third branch, it was like, even though that shift had already happened, it happened again. You know, and there was a little bit of different perspective shift because that was the first year I'd gotten a silver cup. And 
for me, winning that silver cup was like a really big deal. Like personally, you know, after the first one, like it really didn't matter after that. But like at the time, it was a big deal because I was trying to prove to myself what I was really capable of. And I'd never been, you know, number one at anything ever in my life before. You know, my dad always kind of rubbed in my face. He said, Hey, like you're the, you know, the jack of all trades, but master of none, you know, Andrew, because I was, I was in music. I was one of, <laughs> I was one of the best players in the state when it came to trombone. I did, you know, um, different like athletics. I did, uh, Taekwondo for 10 years, wrestling. I wrestled in high school. I had like my hands in everything and I was like pretty good at just about everything, but I wasn't like great at anything. And it was so frustrating for me. I remember finishing my senior year and like just not like, being good at all this stuff and not really being like great in anything. And so this was my first opportunity for to myself to really prove to myself that, hey, like I can be like number one at something. You know, and I think it's like when I got that first silver cup and I know a lot of people can relate to this, like the first time like you win something like that or you break a record or you hit your goal. And it's almost like you feel worse when you do than when you <laughs> before you did, like you think it's gonna feel really good and then you got it and you're like, Whoa, like this is it. You know, this is <laughs> this is all it feels like. And I, I, I think I just put it, you know, as I said, I was going to be happy or it's going to be feel much better once I had won this, you know, that first year. And so that second perspective shift of like when we went out and broke the national record, it was like what happened the first summer, but a lot more serving the market versus serving achievement versus like, you know, I didn't even really care about the record. Like when we talked about the numbers for the summer, I was always about like what that meant. And what it meant to be a part of the team and what we were doing, what we were creating, what we're building in Miami. And it was just a big perspective shift that I think allowed me to connect with people more. Um, I painted more vision and long-term vision for our people. I had more development coming out of those summers. And um, you know, I was able to wrap my arms around people that eventually led to that next summer when we, we broke the record. Yeah. Awesome. It's pretty cool to hear you talk about serving the market versus serving achievement, right? That I think when people first uh, open up their own office or their own organization. They're thinking about what they can achieve, what they can do, right? The goals are all centered on right. them and the numbers and, you know, the competition versus the concept of, you know, having a paradigm shift and thinking about how can I serve this market? How can I be here to help as many other people as possible to get what they want out of their summer experience? And in doing that, my experience is going to be much greater. That mind shift uh, was something that I thought was really insightful. And then, you know, when you talked about how you got to where you won the silver cup and was like, well, is that it? It's like getting the trophy, that moment is far less joyful in the big picture mm. than the experiences you have along the way, the moments that you have along the way, right? I did a podcast episode that was about my silver cup summer as a branch manager and the details I remember of the last week of that silver cup, because we came from behind and, you know, won by $12. I remember that story, by the way. Uh, just so you know, I, it was on, uh, I think, a rising stock call that summer, the first summer I won the silver cup. And uh, we had never met at the time. And I didn't really know who you were. I just heard your voice on that. And I still, I think I, I, somewhere I have them, the notes that I took from your audio and that I genuinely don't think we would have probably done what we did that summer or um, even won that silver cup without like that that mentality of like what you were talking about going into that last week. Yeah. Yeah. The idea is that the, the joy of that last week is far more etched in my mind. The experiences, the moments of that last week are far more memorable than the moment when I was recognized, you know, and given the trophy at the, you know, whatever it was several months later, I guess it was, uh, you know, whatever conference we had where I was given the trophy. So 
it's just really insightful to the idea that the joy is in the journey. Yeah, it's the journey, not the destination, right? And I think, you know, that's easy said, but it's different in practice. I think it's is the goal to 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 get to a certain place, you know, work your whole life so that when you get to that place at the age of sixty or sixty-five or whatever that age is, like you finally get there and you're gonna be happy now. Is that like really the goal or is the goal to be have sixty years of happiness? You know, and it, it's the journey, not the destination. And it's like the person that you're becoming, the process. The, the work, the challenge, it's also like enjoying like the, enjoying the hardships, enjoying getting kicked in the face a little bit. Like, and that's easier said than done. But I think like that is a big part and it's something I'm still really learning to do on a daily basis is to, to be comfortable sitting in who I am and the person I'm becoming in the journey versus the place where I want to be. And it, but, but still having, it's like a paradox, you know, because you have to have that a little bit of dissatisfaction with where you are you know, and who you are right now, but also, you know, acceptance of, of where you are right now, and where you're going. Yeah. I, I also think it was funny to hear you describe how much you developed over those years, right? That in your first summer, you ran a bunch of PCs and like, you know, the reps quit, right? Was that the how to kill reps PC, by the way? Was that because I've seen that one circulating, the how oh to kill gosh. reps PC? No, I don't know yeah. what that was, but it was, <laughs> it was a, it was a PC that was given to me. Like, all right, this is how you recruit people for going. <laughs> Sounds good. I remember going to Jeff the next time and I was like, yo, can we, can we change that PC? That is the worst. Thing. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like, I remember reading it. I'm like, this is the hardest thing I'll ever do. And then, uh, and then the next time I was like, you know, it is not that hard. It's going to be, you know, fun. A <laughs> little bit of perspective there, but yeah. Yeah. But it is cool to hear how you developed, though, over those, you know, three years running your branches while you're in college. You know, you described not having as high a degree of emotional intelligence at the start, you know, as you have developed now. And, and I think that's a part of the process for anybody going through Vector in particular, but also going through advancing in any career is that it's a process of development. And a lot of times people will feel like, well, I don't know if I'm ready for this next step in my career. I don't know if I'm ready for this next advancement in Vector. And you'll never necessarily be fully ready for those next steps, but you grow into them by taking on more responsibility. One of my favorite concepts that's come out of uh, these podcasts that I'm doing came from Andrew Bosworth at Facebook, who said, you know, I've optimized my career for the steep learning curve. And the idea was that he was always willing to take on new and greater challenges. And he even moved from one department at Facebook to a completely different department at Facebook to now a completely different department again at Facebook, where he's forced himself to elevate his skills you know, the range of his skills, his abilities as a leader, his thought processes, all those things, those all evolve as we're growing as, as young entrepreneurs. Yep. And I think that's even ever more important in our world today. For so sure. Things, things move so fast now. Yep. yep. It's an innovation game. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's discuss some of the traits or qualities that uh, have helped your, your great success in the company. Cause you've been an amazing district manager. You've you're now, you know, running your own division. What are some of the things that you feel you've brought to the table to have had such great success? Yeah, whenever uh, anyone asks me this question, Dan, I mean, the first thing that always comes to mind because I think this has just been something that's been foundational for me is just uh, it's work ethic, like grit, perseverance, working really, really hard. I know that I'm not better skilled or better talented, but I know that I can and will outwork. Like when it comes to endurance. You know, even if I, I'm puking, like I'm going to keep going. 
And I don't have a problem, you know, working really, really hard. And that stemmed from me at a young age, working with my dad. Like I didn't even, I didn't hang out with my friends on the weekends growing up, you know, in, in elementary school, every single day from like dusk till dawn, I was usually outside doing like hard manual labor. That's why I started my landscaping business. Cause I was like, all right, if I'm doing this every day already, I might as well be making some money from it. But I was going out there and working for free from dusk till dawn, you know, pretty much every single weekend and got to the point where my friends stopped inviting me to things that I just was always working and doing that. Really, I hated it in the moment, but it really just gave me a hard work ethic. And so, you know, early on in my, in my Cutco career and really, <laughs> literally up until this day, I think most of the things today that people would assume that I'm really talented at and the things that I developed a high level of caliber of skill set, I'm not naturally good at. You know, and so today I'm trying to lean more into like, what am I naturally good at? Where's my genius lie? And how do I infuse that more into what I'm doing on a daily basis? But a lot of my great like skills now are things that I'm really not naturally talented at. And I just, I grinded, I've worked at them and I, I've worked harder probably than, than most people around. I've put in, I've had more failures, you know, along the way that have led to it. So I think that's just one thing is, is that, you know, no matter how bad I am at something, I know that if I want it, I can outwork my way to it and I can learn. And, and my, my ability to work harder than other people can kind of succumb uh, the talent, at least for a time being until I have that skill set. So that's one thing I think is just foundational. Another thing that I think that's helped me, I would say, and this is just, I'm thinking about becoming a DM and, and going to a DVC role fast, is just starting with the end in mind. And when I mean that, like what I say when I mean that, or when I mean when I say that, is like I think a lot of people. This is something that I I, I really see a lot of uh, a lot of young you know sales reps, especially branch managers. You know, but but for me in, in my career, I actually literally until I got this promotion or, or as of recently, you know, this is the first time where I can say confidently, like, hey, I see myself here working with Kako Vector for years to come. You know, something that's funny, and if you ask Jeff, he'll tell you this. But like every year, it was kind of like. Hey, I'm going to be an AM this summer. I'm not branching next summer. And then I end up being coming an assistant manager. You know, I said, uh, or a branch manager. The next summer, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this one time, but I'm not going to do it again. And I was like, ah, I ended up doing it again. You know, by the second time, people were like, hey, are you going to keep doing that cuckoo thing? I was like, ah, I don't know. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm just open to it. I keep, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to go, hey, guys, I'm definitely not doing this again because there's a strong chance that I might. You know, even with DM, it was, it was kind of like a short-term thing. I was, I was thinking short-term with my perspective because I never really had that mental clarity. But the difference is, is that like my lack of, of mental clarity on where I was going to be in a couple years or, or where I saw myself here did not change the vision that I was creating for other people in my organization. Did not change the way that I treated them or the way I showed up in my organization. You know, my lack of like, but I was committed in, in the long term to, to doing my very best, regardless of whether I was going to be here or not. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, a branch manager, they go into it like, hey, this summer, that's why I don't have development coming out of the summer. They don't have like long term sales reps because it's just like mm -hmm. it ends in two months. They're not thinking long term. They're not thinking, hey, I'm going to get these people. I'm going to team up at CLA. And, and at least maybe if I'm here as a branch next summer, I'm going to have more people coming back. But bottom line, I'm going to take care of these people. I want to create a vision for them. You know, and so I think it's the same thing, not just in our business, but in any business. The number one mistake that people make is they start a business, an entrepreneur, they'll start something as like a side hustle, you know, and they'll start making some money from it. And then maybe they're, they're doing well with it and they realize, hey, this could be actually a full time gig. This could maybe pay my bills and they start working on it some more. And then they now they quit their job and they're working on it full time. And they're like, wow, this could actually be like, I, we could maybe take this into a million dollar company. 
And then they start thinking from that perspective. But the challenge I give people is like, if you're going to start a company, if you're going to start, if you're going to open a branch this summer, whatever you're going to do, you know, what if you started that with the perspective of like, hey, I'm about to build a million dollar organization. Like I'm built, the goal here is we're starting this summer, we're starting from scratch, but the goal is I'm going to build a million dollar company, a million dollar organization. If you were thinking with that perspective, it's like the way that you show up, your vision that you're promoting for other people, the type of people that you hire and take on to your organization, the way that you train them, like the way that you leave pe- everything you do is completely different because you have a completely different perspective. It's like the goal is not to see if we can make a quick buck. The goal is to lay an infrastructure for an organization that can become a multi-million dollar organization. You know, and I think that's one thing from like every time I ran an office is just I'm thinking with long-term perspective. I'm creating vision for people years out regardless of how I was feeling in the current situation. And I was able to show that way. And that's what I think leadership is. Mm, that's a great insight, Andrew. I, I think it's it, it's really instructive for anybody working in Vector and Cutco to think about this idea. If you knew that 20 years or 30 years from now or whenever it was, you were going to be the president of the company, how would you act right now? How would you act this summer? How would you act in your daily interactions with people, what is the vision that you would be casting for people if you knew that? And the reality is most people are going to spend their time in Vector and they're going to move on, whether it's their you know, one summer as a rep or maybe a couple summers or maybe they're a DM for a while and then parlay that into something else. They will move on. But if you can act with that end long-term vision in mind, you're going to be more successful during the time that you're here. And I think that that concept holds true in whatever it is that we do is that we have to have that long-term big picture. That's how we get the most out of the individuals that are on our team now that, you know, that are, that are likely to be some of those people that'll sort of carry the torch for us after we leave. You also talked about the work ethic and grit at the outset. And I'm, I'm always reminded of a quote Jim Rohn uh, shared many years ago that I heard, which was make up an effort what you lack in skill. And I just remember, right? Like it's okay if somebody's better than me at something, well, I can make up for that by working harder, you know, working smarter, getting more done for my hours that I'm working and being able to leverage that, that element of work ethic uh, to take myself to a higher level, particularly the younger you are, you know, the more that really makes sense. How about translating these qualities, Andrew, uh, over to other young entrepreneurs? What, what are some of the things that you feel like young entrepreneurs can adopt that can help set themselves apart? I think those two things, literally those two things that helped me have success at a young age are the two things that most young people and most young entrepreneurs lack. It's they lack long-term vision, which is why they, 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 they don't have patience. They're like, they, they want everything now because they're not thinking long-term, not thinking, they think like they start a business, you know, and, and they'll start a business that generally had like genuinely has the potential to be a massive company and they're just starting it with like small thinking. They're not thinking big enough. They're not planning long enough. And the second thing is that they want things, but they're not really like tacked with reality. Meaning like they want things a lot, but they don't have a realistic idea of the work level and time that is going to be required to actually get them to where they want to be. You know, they want it really bad, but they're not really keyed in with like how much time and work will actually be required, you know? And so I think part of it is just like, you have to have like that level of understanding and knowing that if you're passionate about something, if you really want to be successful at what you're doing, it's going to usually take like years, you know, like, like 10, like if you're going to do something that you're really like, you got to be willing to put 10 years into it. You know, and I, I think about that a lot of like, hey, the 10,000 hours idea, like the, the idea that you've got to be, 
you know, if you want to become a master or something, it's 10 years minimum of working at that craft over and over and over again. And for me, like the reason I started working hard is because like I wanted to shorten that. Like I didn't want to shorten the 10 years. I just want to start it as soon. I wanted to start it earlier. I didn't want to wait till like one or two years out of college and then I can start that 10 year journey. I started that, you know, ninth grade. I made sacrifices early on at a young age. And I think a lot of young people, they want a lot, but they're not willing to make the sacrifices that will actually be required to get them there. So they're left in a conundrum because they're like kind of working hard, you know, but they're not getting, so they're not getting like the easy life, but they're also not really getting what they want, you know, and that's where a lot of people end up getting stuck is because they just, they're not really committed to one side or the other. And you got to really just have some deep self-awareness of like what you really want, who you are. And, and if, if it is really what like your heart and soul desires, you have to be willing to go out there and, and work for it and work for it for a long time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Good insights, Andrew. So you have your own podcast. It's called Ace Weekly. A lot of great insights for people to be able to be more successful uh, in their business or in their lives. I know you bring in some pretty cool guests and you also have a lot of, uh, of times where you just riff and share your best insights. As you look back on the podcast that you've done of your own podcast, you know what are some key takeaways that you feel like stand out that you'd like to share with the audience here? There's one that I did recently, one that I think really stuck out to me just from, you know, it wasn't like crazy content or anything like that too. It's just a good perspective. I think of, of the future and where things are headed. It was my interview with Philip Stutz, who he runs a uh, marketing agency. He's, he's a political marketer. So he's helped Trump. So I don't know. It's like, like four, like four of the presidential victories. He's been like the head marketing person for um, almost a thousand different victories across Congress and the Senate. And different things and political marketing really is like it's it is so much more advanced than corporate marketing you know when i think like you talked about when obama came in and the stuff they did with research and the way that he won it, i mean it's the cutting edge of what was uh, marketing at the time when trump came in it was like a whole new again marketing campaign that they did with like facebook and Robert, like all the stuff that they were doing was next level and so we're it's really what we start talking about is innovation and technology and it's something that i talk a lot about on the podcast just in general, you know, something that's like transformed the way that I think is, is a little concept called uh, Moore's Law, which Moore's Law basically states that uh, technology increases exponentially, you know, just from the, the first, like our growth in technology, it's not linear. Like a lot of other growth has been previously in the world. It's not linear, it's exponential. So computers, phones, like the growth, and it's like, we don't even notice it because it's happening so fast. But like the technology increases from one year to the next year, you know, things they're being able to say they'll be able to fit, I don't even know, by in like four or five years, all the information that Google has in all their data centers into the size of a sugar cube. You know, like that's what we're talking about, like the exponential growth. And things are changing really fast and industries are really changing. And I don't think people are really prepared for what's coming. You know, I mentioned it earlier, I think it's I think the world that even like our business in Cutco is becoming an innovation game. It is becoming a game of how fast can you adapt? How fast can you adapt? Because that's just, it hasn't always been that way, but that's just where our society is going. Where even like where I'm running Cutco offices during the summer, I know this to be a fact is every single summer, I know we're going to go out with a game plan and something's going to happen in the middle of the summer with social media or something else where we just realize what's the hot move and there's some sort of innovation. And the people that adapt to it fast in the middle of the summer and can make it happen are the ones that, that reap the results. And everyone else learns it the next year 
and gets on the programs and then, but, but there's new innovations that are happening. And that's not just in our business. I think that's happening across the world and the businesses that can't seem to adapt um, are, are falling behind. And so that's been, been something that I think has been my biggest strength that's also helped me is just being able to adapt quickly, being able to innovate, being able to think ahead and see where trends are going, where things are going. And I think that's just a really big problem in the world today is that, you know, and, and Philip talked about this on the podcast. We talked about construction, talked about real estate, we talked about self-driving cars, you know, and people don't think the second or third or fourth steps. You know, he gave the example of self-driving cars. Like, you know, people think obviously people in automotive industries are like, oh, okay, they're thinking about that. Like, well, what if they're self-driving cars and, and we're not developing that? But people don't think, okay, if they're self-driving cars, guys, what happens to all the other jobs when there's no more accidents? There's no more traffic tickets, you know, and like 60, 70% of taxes in cities comes from like traffic tickets and citations and things like that. There's none of that anymore. You know, when, when almost 40 to 50% of all organs donated in the USA are from car crashes and not a lot less people are dying, right? And there's 50 to 60% less people going into nurses and hospitals, when there's and there's like a million things that come from this and just over and over and over again. And people don't think about those second and third steps that are coming from these technologies, of which most are already here. You know, they're just gonna take a couple years to catch on, but when they catch on, it's gonna happen like rapid fire. And I think that's something that like has helped me a lot. It's just that innovation game. It's learning how to adapt quick and fast and be able to make smart decisions and execute them, you know, like ready, fire, aim, that kind of thing. Yeah, certainly one of the keys to uh, you know ad adapting to innovation is that a person has a growth mindset in the first place. And when somebody has a growth mindset, they really desire learning that what they're typically doing is they're having conversations with successful people, they're reaching out, they're getting ideas much more quickly, right, uh, into their awareness. And that certainly applies within vectors, like the great people in vector are constantly having conversations with the other great people in the company that's helping them to you know, push that innovation 100%. faster and adapt much more quickly. And I think that's an important thing for everybody, whether you're in this company or in some other company, you know, right, to be thinking about is how are you interacting with the most successful people in your industry or in your company, so that you're constantly having this banter about where things are going and gaining new ideas much more quickly. It's like talking to the person with a hot hand. It's like the reason you want to do that is because you got you, you need to know what's going on, like what's helping. And the key is, it's, and that's different every summer, even in Vector. You know, sometimes you might have a prolific manager, but they're not necessarily the one with the hot hand. Like they're not the one that's exploding out of nowhere in the summer. You know, and you want to. And again, it comes to there's there's a there's a wisdom aspect in this too. You know, of like not trying to like just change things all the time and innovate. Like you got to do what works. But I think there's just an awareness that comes from like, you have to see these things before they're coming, talk to the people that are learning from it and, and be able to execute and make decisions quickly, you know, before it's too late. Yeah, you've got to be able to, to have the sense to vet the ideas that you hear very clearly. And, and I think that happens best through conversation with others. I do feel like there are some places where somebody might be observing a, a great you know, young manager in our company and say, well, they're succeeding because they're doing that. And there are other times where you might be able to look at someone and say, well, they're succeeding in spite of doing that. And you have to be able to sort that out from time to time. <laughs> and that does, that does take some depth and wisdom. It's not the easiest thing. But the bottom line is having a growth mindset, having conversations with successful people, having banter about ideas, challenging people on ideas, having constructive discussions. These are all things that help advance people's thought processes and skills much more quickly. 100%. Yeah. 
So, you know, you're 24 years old, Andrew, and I feel like, you know, for guys that are my age, millennials kind of get a bad rap out there. And uh, I think that uh, most of that is probably unwarranted. I would love to get your take on millennials. Yeah, I don't know. I, sometimes I want to give millennials a bad rap too, even though I'm one of them. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think the reason they get a bad rap sometimes, you know, it's just, I think it's a misunderstood generation. And what I say that being, it's just this generation is growing up in a much, much, much different world than the, the, the world of our parents' generation. It's just, it's a completely different world, you know, and it's not like, uh, you know, even I think my parents, my grandparents, there was a big shift there too. Like that was a big, you know, consciousness, like uh, just uh, technology, socially, like there was a lot of big shifts that happened there. But compared from our parents to this generation, it's a different world. You know, if you if you have someone from the 1940s that got frozen and woke up today, like it's a different world. Like they can't eat, like we didn't even have computers and technology phones, you know, and computers, but 20, 25 years ago, like that, like, it's crazy. Cause I've seen it in my life. Cause I'm like the older enough, but like young enough, like generation where I like, I grew up without phones and I've seen them kind of transition on, you know? And so it's been interesting just to see like, now you can't even operate. Like you can't have a job almost without having a phone, a computer. Like there's things that are like these things that like people couldn't even wrap their heads around 30 years ago. And so I think we're just living in a much different world that causes millennials to act in different ways. For the first time, you know, at least in America, we are living in a world where like like our generation, Dan, is one of the first generations that has not had to worry about much. Like we have not had to worry about survival. For the vast majority of Americans, they don't ever they haven't woke up a day in their life thinking about how am I going to live today? Like what am I going to eat? Food, water, shelter, how am I going to survive? Like I have to work to like be able to produce and take care of myself and my family. I'm going to be on the streets. Like the majority of the country has not had to do that. And it's the first time, like in really human history, where like we have like psychologically, we're no longer in survival mode. And the millennials have grown up their whole lives without having to even be able to, like they can't even relate to that. They can't relate to the idea of survival mode. And that's why I think things are like, there's more depression, there's more anxiety, there's, there's a lot more things going on in, in this generation because. Like when the, you don't have to think about surviving, there's a lot, you start asking a lot more questions about like, hmm, like, so what are we here to do? Like, what is life really about? When you're no longer running, you're like thinking, you know, and being introspective of like, hey, like now it starts to become things about like impact and helping others. And I think you'll see in the millennial generation, like there's a lot more like a heart and soul for like helping others and impacting others. And I think that's what really sets them apart is that they have this, this huge massive potential, you know, to really impact and change people. What I think the problem is with millennials is that because they haven't had to have that, like that fight or flight, they haven't had the survival. They, again, they just, I don't think they understand the work or the skill set that's required. You can have a heart you know, and sold to want to help other people. But if you don't have the leadership ability or the, like the ability to do so, it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's pretty worthless. You know, that's, you have a great heart, but you're not going to be able to do anything with it. And so I think that's why I have my podcast. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm working here is because I think there, there needs to be a little bit of like a wake up for millennials of like, Hey, you have the potential, like y'all want to see this change in the world and you can really do that, but you can't do it sit in, you know, you can't do it just going to school, taking classes, graduating and being stuck in the system and, and, you know, watching TV every single day for eight hours. And like, they, they just have a heart and passion to impact other people. But 
they have to be led and able to do so. And I think that's what sets the millennials apart. Yeah, that's that's cool. I, I like what you said about how the millennial generation has a strong desire to impact, right? To make a difference in what they're doing. And in order for people to be able to do that, number one, they need a place where they can do that, right? They need an opportunity to be able to do that. And then number two, they got to have the skills, which means the skills to be able to influence and the skills to be able to lead, right? And what's really cool about Vector is that we provide all of that for young people, right? We provide a place where they can make a huge difference, can really impact other people first through selling, but even more so through management and leadership, right? And we, we give people the opportunity to gain those skills as they're going along. And in life, I think that in the big picture, uh, young people are going to learn that they, they get paid based on the value they bring to the marketplace. And a lot of that value is, is through impacting and influencing and helping others. And the more people we can learn to help achieve their goals and their visions, the more we're going to be achieving a lot more and earning a lot more. And so, uh, so that, I thought that was some good insights that you shared there about that desire for impact, because that's a great trait that can really help people to get the most out of life, both uh, from a fulfillment point of view and from a financial point of view. And that, that's why I love what we do here you know, at, at Vector, because I, I think we truly do provide a model and opportunity for students and a playground for people to develop those skills, you know, develop relationships, save money. And that, that's the thing is like, I tell people this all the time is that, hey, and, like, if you want to, everyone in life has an opportunity. And we live in a world that's the only, that's the other aspect about living as a millennial today is that like, it's a level playing ground for like the first time ever, you know, like 30 years ago, it, it like, it mattered a lot more what family you grew up in, what part of town you lived in, where you were born, the edge, like what you had access to, you know, the reality is if you had access to a lot more resources than somebody else, like you you have a little bit of a privilege and an advantage than someone that does it, you know, but for the first time, it's like, 95% of it, like, if you've got a cell phone, you've got access to the internet, you have access to way, like, more than the President of the United States had 30 years ago. You know, that type of information. It's a level playing ground. There's opportunity for everyone everywhere. But if you want to be able to take advantage of the opportunity when they arise and when they come into your lap, you have to have three things, which is, you know, you have to have financial capital, you need to have social capital, and you need to have skill sets. And the problem is that most people are often lacking all those or they're missing one or two. You know, they have the skill sets, but they don't have the money. They don't have the relationships, you know, or they have a bunch of relationships, but they really don't have the skill sets or the finances to do so. And I think Vector really provides a model where for people for several years of their life and their young years, they can develop and hone their skill set in. They can stock away a ton of capital that they can use, you know, to, to do something impactful. To like, like the bottom line is if you want to impact, like you need money to do it, you know, like that Mother Teresa was probably had more money come through her hands than almost anyone else ever through the Catholic Church and the way she was able to funnel it into charities, you know. But but she did an impact. It was, took money. And um, and the last thing is having social capital relationships. Like it's crazy the fact that how many people I have relationships with now that you know would go to a war and we could snap our fingers. Like we could. It's a group of people that I know genuinely could change the world no matter what project they're doing. And I talk to people that are twenty eight, twenty nine, and really really well skill set. They're single solo entrepreneurs. And they struggle to build a team and build these like they don't have people to like bring in with them and they build these organizations with together. And I think all three of these things are phenomenal opportunities to build in, in young years while you're while you're at Vector. Yeah, financial capital, social capital, skill sets. Great, 
great uh, three things that people have to develop in order to be able to be successful. And, you know, I, I see a lot of young people in Vector who have aspirations about changing the world or becoming powerful influencers or, you know, really being able to spread their impact uh, a lot more globally than just beyond Vector. And, and I, I always remind them that they're in a great place to build that social capital, especially right now and that that's one of the things they're going to need in order to be able to influence the masses is having more social capital and for somebody to stick around in vector for five years 10 years 15 years building teams every year you know you're, you're gaining so much more social capital through the networks that you're building and it's really really valuable it's unreal and because of how many people we work with and get exposed to you know like i it's just if you you can work at a company for 10 years and I mean, you won't even scratch the surface on how many, like you're working with students, you do this for five or six years, they're going off and doing other things You're with other killer successful managers from all across the country, you know, that are either currently in the business or they move on to do other, like there's just the networks and relationships that happen from just being here for several years as a sales rep or as a manager, it is really, really undervalued. Yeah. Huge point for sure. Well, you described earlier in this uh, conversation that you're you're looking for what is your genius, right? And what what are your superpowers? And just from my perspective, and you know, getting to know you and observing you from afar, uh, number one, you're somebody that has an inspiring vision, right? You're somebody that's able to be able to take people and help them see something that's bigger that they can be a part of. Uh, second, I would say is that you have great charisma and energy, and it takes a lot of that in order to be able to get people into action, right? To, to move towards that vision. I would also say, Andrew, that you have a willingness, which is something not everybody has. You have a willingness to work. You have a willingness to do what it takes. You have a willingness to bust your butt uh, a little harder than most people at the times when it's necessary. And not everybody has that. That's an underrated skill that some people bring to the table that others don't. And it seems like you get a lot of your fulfillment from truly helping others, from serving the market, as you described, whether it be serving the market of you know, reps in Cutco and Vector or serving the market of young people out there who are listening to your podcast and learning from the things that you're sharing on there. So it's pretty cool to see you know, those elements of you. And I think those are some of the things that I see that you bring to the table. Yeah. People matter. Things don't. I think that's something that's, you know, took me some time to realize, but it's just at the end of the day, when you're dying, when you're sick, when you're a lot, like when you, you know, when you go through tough times, like you don't really care about the things you have. You don't care about, you know, 90% of the stuff that we get all boiled up about. It really comes down to relationships and experiences that you have with those people. And so, you know, like you'll be ever more fulfilled and happy seeing someone that you were able to mentor and coach and, and helping somebody else you know, I think this makes your, you so much more happier, at least for me, you know, than any other personal achievement or accolades. Although, you know, those are good to have along the way. And uh, I want to have those, you know, for, for myself. But I think uh, at the end of the day, like I said, that, that philosophy, people, people matter, things don't. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Andrew, the, the theme of the podcast is changing lives. And I think it'd be fitting just to end by hearing how you aspire to change people's lives as you look into the future uh, through the work that you're doing or through your influence? I think we're going to change a lot of lives just doing what I'm doing right now as a DVC, eventual DVM, you know, and uh, able to impact Miami-Dade. I think uh, Miami is a community that's emerging in our country and becoming ever more prevalent. And I think uh, we, as the company that works with more students than any other organization down here, we're impacting the future generations of that. 
And I can see that and how it's been transforming over the past couple of years. And I think our world and the things that are going to happen in our world and socially change, it's going to require a lot of leaders and individuals, you know, ordinary people stepping up and choosing to be extraordinary. And I don't know exactly what that will look like, but my goal is to help create some of those leaders to help create that. You know, one of my goals in the next four to five years, I don't know exact timeline, but I'm going to start a school in Miami. This is something I decided uh, actually a couple months ago. I hate our education system right now. You know, I hate the way that it works. I think it's broken. I think it's outdated. You know, and I went to school and got three degrees. So, you know, I'm not bashing in general. I really, really, I really value education. So that's super important to me. And I don't like our education system how it is now. And I think it could be updated. And so one of my goals is to start a school down here, you know, in Miami. And then eventually franchise it out to the rest, you know, other big cities in the U.S. and the rest of the world, and uh, just have like people, entrepreneurs, professors speak about like if, it's almost like Dan, if you had your kids, pretend like the world's completely different in 30, 40 years, and it's a you know that there's no the jobs are different, like everything's different, you know. But it's like, hey, if you wanted them to learn core principles over the next you know couple of years, you want them to learn core skills that like no matter what, they'll be good. They're going to be successful. Like they're going to be happy and they're going to be able to, you know, have leadership and influence or whatever the case might be. It's like, what would you teach them? And it's like, I want a school that teaches those things, you know, things about like basic things like they don't teach in school, like taxes to things like, you know, marriage and relationships to things like influence, social media, cutting edge technology, you know, entrepreneurship, different things like so that they can come out of that and they can actually have, you know, real meaningful opportunities, real meaningful skill sets, and they can be prepared for the future have a place where people actually get jobs and they graduate from them and they're easily set up there. It's almost confirmed and guaranteed if they go to that school, they're going to have a good gig opportunity line for them and something that they can be excited about when they're done. You know, That's one reason why I'm going to keep building a network of entrepreneurs and leaders over the next four or five years because I want, to, I want this to be a nonprofit. I want people to be able to come and participate. So that's kind of like a short slash long-term goal you know, in the next 10 years or so. And like I said, I just want to be able to help shape the, the leaders of the future. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you're doing that already. Uh, you know, you've got your own version of a school already called Vector University and uh, the Leadership Academy. And you're spreading your influence through your podcast, Ace Weekly. So it's great to see all the things you're doing to add value to the world. And I'm very grateful to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for making the time. Yes, Dan. Thank you so much for uh, having me. I'm very, very grateful to, uh, to be a guest on your, uh, on your show. A long time coming. I'm excited to finally uh, make this happen here. Awesome. That was Andrew Evans, everyone, a young man who has become an incredible success in the Cutco Vector sphere. Pretty cool to hear how he wasn't so great at first, but he developed as time went on. And I think that's really important for people to hear. But you know, whatever business you're in, especially if you're in this Cutco Vector organization, is that you're never always ready for taking the next step that you're going to take, but that by continuing to learn and grow, you develop over time and you speed up your learning curve in life. The qualities Andrew talked about, work ethic, grit, perseverance, the long-term view, those things being really important. Uh, I enjoyed his take on millennials, that millennials are growing up in a different world than I did or that you know most people who are older grew up in, and that many millennials have a strong desire for impact. And that desire for impact is exactly one of the great things that can help a young person to succeed in their work and in their life, but that you have to be able to have financial capital, social capital, and the skill set in order to be able to take that desire and translate it into results in the long run. Andrew also ended by saying, you know, he'd like to 
you know, be able to teach real key core philosophies that can make people successful. And, you know, I've, I've actually listed out some different core philosophies that I think are really important. And I'll wrap this up by just sharing two of them with you today. Uh, the first one is that, uh, you can choose the meaning for anything that happens in your life. I think this is an important lesson to keep in mind whenever we go through any experience of adversity in any way is that we can let that adversity stop us and define us, or we can decide that this is a part of getting to where we want to be. We can choose an empowering meaning for the things that are, are occurring around us and in our lives. It's important to exercise that muscle consistently with the small challenges because then it becomes easier to exercise it with the big challenges. I also think another great core philosophy is that things don't get better by chance, they get better by change. Things don't get better by chance, they get better by change. And if you look at any area of your life in which you want to improve and grow, what's important is to realize what do I need, how do I need to evolve in this area in order to be able to be more capable of success? How do I need to change? How do I need to grow, learn, improve, evolve by changing ourselves? We change the circumstances of our lives. That's something you can take to the bank today that I hope helps all of you. Hey, please take five seconds to hit the five on the ratings for this podcast on your podcast player. It just takes a few seconds. Tap that five. It does help us with spreading the word about this podcast. And if you're so inspired to put a written review on Apple Podcasts, that would be appreciated as well. Hope you enjoy this. Share it with other people if you did. Great insights from Andrew Evans. Thanks everyone for supporting the podcast and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.